Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. She's Sarah Time. And we've got Gabe behind the camera working the stream as always. And again, the show is live streaming on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. And again, we all work with the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Locked it down again last year. Big news came out uh, yesterday, actually. It's very exciting. I was excited. You guys don't seem to care that much, but that's okay. So, um, and what we want to talk about today, obviously the show's about real estate, and there's a lot of things happening in the world right now that are affecting the market, probably more than a lot of our listeners think. And what I wanted to hit on specifically was obviously there's this Ukraine conflict, and there's nothing good coming out of that whatsoever. I want to be very clear here. And because of that, markets react. And when the market reacts, it affects the housing market. So that's what our show's about here. So we wanted to talk about, is there a possibility that the conflict could lead to changes in the current market, whether it's regarding... uh, hesitation by buyers and sellers, mortgage rates. So we've been through a couple of these things before. So what do you two ladies think? Is this going to have an effect on the market in some level? Because this is something that people are starting to talk about now as this has continued to escalate. Um, I think there there could be a short-term effect on interest rates um, for mortgages. But in terms of hesitation from buyers and sellers just in general, um, you know, waiting to list or waiting to buy, I I don't know that I really see that uh, happening here, um, but I think there could be a, a short-term effect on the the mortgage rates. I agree, uh, and I think um, I've heard some rattlings in the background past couple of days that the feds might hold off on raising some rates because of just the uncertainty of everything that's going on, um, which is probably a good idea, but um, it was interesting because I was out yesterday at a showing, and the folks have already sold their home. So they're in temporary housing, which is extremely ex- expensive for them. And they're looking to get into their new home. And that actually came up. She was nervous. She said, I'm really nervous about everything that's going on. I don't know if it's going to be a good time to buy. So for me, I just presented it to her that you could wait for six months, a year to to see what happens. But again, nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. So instead of putting your life on hold, move forward, get into your new home. Because in temporary housing, it's miserable, it's expensive, and you have two storage units that you're paying for. So, you know, just focus your effort on that and, um, you know, just continue to move on while you can. That's great advice, number one, because we've seen so many people where something's happening in the world, whether it's the 2020 pandemic, right? Anyone that bought in 2020 when they were nervous, they're like high-fiving each other now. They're they're stoked. They've seen this incredible appreciation that's happened over the past two years. And, you know, we're very fortunate this isn't happening here. I think that's number one. Um, Probably the more similar parallel, though, and this was in a piece done by Housing Wire, uh, and what they talked about was the deputy chief economist of First American, which is a a very large title insurance firm. Um, uh, uh, Her name is Odetta Cushy. And what uh, she said was that there's a real clear parallel here of the weeks following the Brexit vote in 2016 when the bond yield started to decline and that caused mortgage rates to go down in the short term. And you know, while mortgage rates have trended upward so far this year, you know, one of the side effects of global uncertainty is that it, I mean, the market reacts. And, and this happens every time rates jump up. They kind of come back down a little bit because it's, it's such a day-to-day thing. 
And it, that's the Brexit vote's a great example because that was that was like big news. I mean, that was kind of surprising that all happened and 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 a big deal. Um, and then uh, obviously caused some some hesitation in the market and caused the market to to react a little bit. Um, what you know also came out is that there's uh, this comes from someone at William Ravis Mortgage, Melissa Cohn, the regional vice president. Uh, interesting, she's up there because our guest later works at William Ravis. So that's that's pretty funny. Byron Lazine, he's coming on in a bit. Um, she mentions there's two forces that are kind of uh, like working against each other right now. One is inflation, um, because in inflation, and that could actually be made worse by the war, not better, because of all the energy consequences that we're seeing happen here because of the U.S. reliance on on Russian and, and energy and Chinese minerals. So there, there there's some things happening here that I'm clear might have an effect on rates in the short term. I don't know how long this conflict's going to last. I think that's probably the big question here. Um, especially with, you know, what's the, what's NATO going to do all, all the, and nobody knows. I mean, you're dealing with politicians where they tend to, like, it takes forever to do the right thing and it's always a disaster. And then they throw some government pork into the decision. I mean, it happens yep. all the time, right? So it really is going to be dependent on what the Fed does. I'm clear that's where this is going to, where, where the rubber's going to meet the road here. If the Fed is going to push back their decision to move rates up because there's a meeting coming up in 14 days, March 15th and 16th, what's the Fed going to do? So what do you guys think the Fed's going to do? Well, I think there was also talk about how much the Fed was going to mm-hmm. increase, uh, you know, everything by. So I think that they are still going to increase. But maybe instead of um, going up to what they were initially talking, um, you know, maybe doing half of that, um, mm-hmm. doing like a quarter um, of a raise there um, is kind of what I would I would predict them to do. I like it. What do you think, Stacey? Uh, I don't know. I think they're going to hold steady. I think there's so much uncertainty, and I, I get the inflation is really, um, you know, driving the, these increases. But I think with all the uncertainty, I think they're just going to hold steady because everybody's so nervous now. They don't want to create any more panic. So I think you both have valid opinions here. I think it could go either way. Um, and I'm going to give you an, an opinion and a prediction that's going to be a little vanilla. It's going to depend what happens over the next two weeks. This thing right. could be over next week. We could mm-hmm. be on the show, and that could be the end of it. It could go on for a month, two months. I mean, we've seen these things just throughout history. They last longer than a lot of people expect, or they're they're over a lot quicker. I mean, you know, just I mean, the, if the U.S. gets involved here, this could be over real fast. Um, and and we just don't know how it's going to happen. I mean, who do I mean? You just, there's so many things at play when you have an unpredictable government like Russia making these decisions. I mean, who, who knows what happens? I mean, there could be like an inside man that does something. I mean, you have, you have no idea. So I'm clear that if this continues, I think they do pause a little bit. I agree with you, Stacey. But if it, if it looks like there's a resolution coming, then I think the Fed goes back to their plan. It's really going to depend what happens. I mean, uh, so and you, you look at what's been going on in the market since then. And, you know, it's been it's been pretty interesting. There was some other data that came out um from uh, from Housing Wire as well, uh, the end uh, yesterday, and it was uh, based on the Friday NAR um, press release of pending home sales data. And what they're saying is that the uh, that the pending home sales data this year, even though pending ha- home sales slumped in January, what's now a three month drop in transactions, the um, what they're seeing is it actually the the, the activity is mirroring what happened last year. So we're going to see kind of a big ramp up into into the end of the first quarter here, and if people see a drop in rates, let's say they, I mean, because the market's going to react. I mean, the Fed may not do anything and, and rates will probably still come down a little bit uh, just because of, of uncertainty in the market. 
I guarantee you there's going to be people that were waiting until like maybe like May or June. They want to move over the school year. All the parents that say they're going to jump in the market now if the inventory's there. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you see the same thing, but if there's, there's a little bit of a drop in rates, let's say they, let's say they get just below 4%. You're going to see the market flooded again with people like, what can I buy? Where is it? Especially those people that really need to buy something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with that. That's for sure. Um, I see people already coming in to the market. Like they're, oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm worried about the rates going up. So I'm just going to get started now, uh, which is a great idea. You know, why not get started? But yeah, if they even drop a little bit, I think it's going to be... Um, even triple that. <laughs> right. And I think that for as much as we've been talking over the last several months about rates and the inevitable increase in them, um, you know, that has that has happened. And then if you do see that tick back, um, I, I agree with both of you. I think that it'll pull in people who um, are like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> the rates do affect my payment. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I do need to get in there. The, the other thing no one's talking about with the Fed, um, and, and they came out and they talked about um, that the, some of the policymakers, I guess this is behind the scenes reporting, we also have a $9 trillion balance sheet right now in the U.S., meaning that, that that's like the debt that's being, ca- it's a lot of zeros. And um, the policymakers, they want to start bringing that down, but they don't have a lot of experience with that. They typically only manipulate the rates. So do you see that uncertainty of how, how talking about how to bring down the the balance sheet and uh, and and you know trying to manipulate that and, and then the, as opposed to the funds rate do you see any policy coming out with that or it's just going to be purely rate based decision making that all makes my head spin so <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say probably so, most of the listeners feel that yeah, way too exactly so I th- <laughs> can you so, repeat yeah, the I know right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I think that the the average person out there doesn't have any real concern about those things um, but because that's probably where I fall into that category too so um, yeah I have no other comment. And, and what I should clarify is they, they've been buying all these um, all, all these uh, treasury and mortgage-backed securities every month to push the interest rates down. So that And when I say lower the balance sheet, that's what they're carrying right now. So they're going to liquidate those at some point. So those assets are going to come back to the market. And I guess the question is, is that going to cause rates to go higher if they start doing that? Um, based on pure economic study, which I've taken like three classes on and I've been doing this 20 years, and the classes were a very long time ago. I would imagine that would be yes. I don't know if they're going to start selling those off right away because if they do that and raise rates, then I, I, I see some real concern coming into the market because people are going to be like, well, inflation's already very real, right? People are feeling it at the gas pump mm-hmm. right now. And that's the number one indicator about inflation is the price of the gas pump. Mm-hmm. Everyone always complains about that. They don't complain about food. They don't complain about the cost of like, you know, normal household goods, but gas, everyone bitches one. about gas, right? Oh, Is that yeah. fair well, to say? And because, I mean, that's something that when you go to the pump, like, you know what it normally costs to fill up your tank. And you're either somebody that fills up your tank when it's half full or you're somebody that takes it down to zero, which <laughs> is me. I need to work on that. But um, so, you know, like for when you fill up your tank, which category you fall in and how much that usually costs to to do. And it's it's just so in your face, the difference, because when you go to the grocery store, sometimes you get more items than other times. You know, there's other factors at play. The gas station is just so in your face, like what you're paying at the pump there. Yeah, you can't can't get away from that. That's right. for sure. Mm-hmm. 
So, Stacy, do you fill your tank up like a quarter of the way, half the way, or do you go down to zero as well? That's a big, a big yeah, you question. You know, I've done both. And most of the time, I look and see how many miles I have left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I calculate, where do I have to go? Okay, I'm going to be there, there. And then I try to work it into my schedule. While I was right there, I'll stop there. I did have to stop for gas earlier this week because I had brought, I mean, I was down to like one mile till empty. And I was, which isn't like the most uncommon thing for me, but I was looping around around my house and I couldn't find parking. And I had to go get more gas because I was like, if I run out of gas while looking for parking, that's <laughs> bad. My husband's going to kill me. Really I've, I've gotten to the gas station with zero before. Like oh, yeah, it literally says zero miles left. And I'm like, whew, wow. that was oh, close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't done that. I seem to have problems with my wheels and tires, though. <laughs> That's my big issue, not so much gas. <laughs> I mean, gas. So I mean, but I think that's a great way to look at it. People mm-hmm. feel that, right? Yeah. To 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 talk about this here. So, I I don't see the Fed starting to sell some of those assets. I I do see them. The next two weeks are going to be critical here. What happens with this conflict and and how they're going to make their decision come the fifteenth or the sixteenth? So, knowing all this, and there, there's some uncertainty for sure. The question we always ask on this show: What should sellers be doing, and what should buyers be doing? So let's start with sellers. Knowing everything we know right now, there might be rates that come down, they might go back up, the Fed might do something. Nobody really knows because of this conflict. What should sellers, people that want to sell, let's say the next three to six months, their goal is to settle on their home. Not sell it, but settle it. And so we'll call it like end of September. What should sellers be thinking right now? What should they be doing knowing all this information? I think that they need to to speak to a realtor and to prep to, to put it to market. This is still... a uh, you know, incredible time to list your home. Um, the, you know, the mortgage rates tick, like ticking up a bit or ticking down a bit. Um, you know, I don't think there's any, it, it wouldn't do you any good to just hold off and and wait to see where that goes um, as the seller. I think that you uh, you go ahead and you, you get your home listed. There are buyers out there. I agree 100%. I think that there are a clump of sellers that have been waiting because of the pandemic. And, and if they're, you know, considering, oh, my gosh, all this uncertainty, should we wait some more? No, uh, because I'll go back to, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and you could have sold your house during the pandemic and really capitalized on mm-hmm. on the market. And you still can. It's it's a phenomenal seller's market. So definitely speak with an agent, um, learn the selling process, how that looks, what you have to prep for and um, just jump in. I think they would be pleasantly surprised. So I, I agree with both of you here. And given a lot of the predictions are, I mean, people are talking about 16% appreciation this year. This is like yes. Zillow and, and some of these other companies that are out there. Some have been a little more conservative. So I, I don't see waiting as, as the right move for anybody involved. Buyers the same, because there's going to be more people that enter the market. And if you look at uh, the data from Housing Wire that came out, they're talking about this year mirroring what happened in 2021. Well, the people that come late to the market, they're the ones that always kind of, they, they get in these situations where they maybe can't win, where they're having trouble like losing out on properties, or they feel like they might have missed that surge of buyers that happens every year in the spring, except 2020, because we couldn't sell real estate. Thank you, <laughs> Governor Wolf. And uh, so the, the the whole point here is I, you got to have these strategy meetings like now. Like it, actually, you're probably late even having the meeting at this point. I would have been doing this like January, February. We've been pounding the table about this, and there's always going to be uncertainty in the market, right? I mean, there could be, and any of this stuff can happen anytime. I don't think anyone saw this Ukraine conflict coming mm-hmm. before it happened. I mean, it wasn't like, I, mean, I don't think people were predicting or there was going to be a problem. It just kind of just happened. And 
these things always you know uh, are, are going to happen in the world. So if you're letting that dictate your financial decision making, I'm clear you might end up making a bad decision or maybe missing an opportunity, whether it's the right house for your family or the buyer that really wants to be in that neighborhood and they find something else. You never want to miss the opportunities, and and that that that's always been my view. And and the seasonal market is real, so. I don't. I don't see any of this. I mean, the Fed—they're going to do what they do. You know, rates are going to go up. Rates are going to go down. There's still not enough inventory to change all this. So I, I don't see any of this really affecting the market. And I would proceed with your plans as normal and get on the stick because a lot of people they might already be late entering the market as it is. Right, and um, I mean, who knows what is going to happen with with this particular um, with the Ukraine conflict in the next couple weeks and. Then what happens beyond that? I mean, we have no way of knowing. We've had so many hurdles thrown at us over the past couple years, and who knows what what hurdle will come up next? So I think you know if you if you've been thinking about buying or selling, yeah, it's it's time to uh, figure it out, come up with a plan, and take your next steps. Love it for sure. Case study again. I have, I have clients closing on their house today, and no lie, the wife looked at the husband and said, "You remember, I was looking at the end of 2020 to buy a house, and you just weren't interested." That guy's going to be in the doghouse <laughs> until 2026. I swear that's what she he's going to have to wait for the market to go down to get out of the doghouse. And he just like sheepishly said, "Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great." What are you because, supposed to say to that? I mean, I know. I, I just said to her, "Yeah, I remember." <laughs> so you ladies are both married. If you said that to your mm-hmm. husbands, what would you want them to say in that situation? Situation. Yes, you were right. Yeah. You were right now. <laughs> no. Got it. All that, all that appreciated value we would have in our home at this time. All the guys listening, just say you were right. That's gonna, it's gonna solve the problem. So, on that note, we're gonna take a break. Um, we're gonna come right back. We're gonna talk about some news about some big companies out there, specifically Open Door, and then we've got Byron Lazine coming on from the One Team in Connecticut with William Ravis, and we're gonna talk about five a.m. call, what agents should be doing, a lot of good stuff. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. All right, welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacy Mitchell, and we all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we got some business news coming out. 
quasi-Zillow segment like we seem to have every week, but it's really not about them. Uh, it's about Open Door. And there was some earnings data that got released. And if you don't know who Open Door is, they are basically a, a huge iBuyer company backed by SoftBank, who also backs uh, some other real estate tech, uh, most notably Compass. And the earnings report came out, and it did not – I mean, I, I don't understand how these companies stay in business. I, just, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Uh, but on Thursday, Open Door reported losing $662 million in 2021 compared to Zillow's $528 million. And these are big, major companies – and it also surpassed their 2020 losses by 161% of $253 million. And um, so that, that's how much money they lost. They made a net income of $6 million for 2021. So they made some money. I just can't imagine the overhead necessary. I mean, it's just crazy to me that, that's, that that's what, you have that many losses, right? So if you do the math, that means their top-line revenue – is what one point two billion plus six million dollars, something like that, and they only made six million dollars. Wow. So, and this comes uh, after some massive growth. Um, you know, they, they tallied over eight billion dollars in revenue, um, and a lot of that stems from a five percent sales fee charged to home sellers and proceeds from flipping homes. So, what does this tell you about the i buying model and? What does this tell you about people that try to flip a house? Those are the two questions I have here. I would say that it's it's risky. You know, um, I think this shows that they're with these iBuyer programs, um, you know, at the amount that they're buying these homes and where they were putting these different offers in at, um, they weren't always obviously covering all their their bases. So when we're talking numbers that large and then walking away with only six million i mean that's just like a little sliver compared to the money that was being thrown out there um and same with with flipping homes i mean that's there's a lot of uncertainty in that and um you don't know what is going to come up as you when you get into some of these homes and and start doing some projects yeah they make it look very glamorous and easy on hgtv but it's it's quite the opposite at times um, but Open Door had huge growth. So, I mean, they expanded. Uh, they started in, what, 23? Uh, 23 markets, yep. 23 markets, and now they're in 44. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's huge expansion. Um, so they are experiencing a big growth. So I would like to know, you know, where the losses were, or was it just was a lot of this growth? Um, so that that's that's my question there. But, yeah, as far as the iBuy program. I mean, Zillow, absolutely. They they just dumped it. They're like, we're done with this. We, we're cutting our losses. We're, we're done. They did have another business model they could fall back on, though. Yes, so I don't did. know that Open Door has that option. Keep going. Correct. Correct. So, you know, maybe Open Door's trying to uh, revamp, you know, restructure their iBuy program so that they don't suffer <laughs> so many losses or so much, yeah, uh, lost revenue in that. But it is risky. I mean, flipping homes, I think, you know, when the everyday person thinks it's a good idea to go out and just, oh, we're going to buy a house, we're going to flip it, and, and then they, they're underwater like 50 grand, and they can't figure out where did this go wrong. The margins are so slim, especially with um, all the, the factors in play today as far as trying to get just a, a vanity or appliances mm-hmm. or drywall and wood. You know how wood shot up to 
like exorbitant amounts. People couldn't even build a deck. Yep. So, you know, that could be part of it too. Maybe during their flipping process, they ran into some of those real extreme expenses, but it's tough. It's not easy. And, you know, some of our television programs make it look that way and it's not. Well, what, what I found interesting here are two things. Um, one is a lot of their profits are the result of a 5% fee that they charge to sellers. So my concern with people that sell for open door for consumers is that they are charging you a commission there. Now they're calling it a fee. That that it's the, it's the same thing. It's the same identical thing. Like there, there is no. I mean, it's even in. And we can't talk about commissions, but let's say that's in, that's in it's in the ballpark. We'll leave mm-hmm. it there, right? I, we have to be very careful about what we say because of laws. So if they charge a fee. I guarantee you, you're not getting a fair market price. There's data from Bright, which is our local MLS that's along the Eastern Seaboard. It goes into like Baltimore, D.C., Virginia, second largest MLS in the country that you lose 16.9 something percent on homes that are not sold on the MLS, which Open Door is not doing. So it's costing sellers money, number one. I agree. I, I, you said it's risky, super risky flipping a house. I know reputable builders and contractors that will flip houses in the wintertime just to keep their crew busy, and they made like $1,000. Mm-hmm. That sounds like yeah. the $6 million that they mm-hmm. profited here. Just it's all, it's all scale, right? So it's not a profitable business. Everyone, the only way I find it's profitable, especially in the current climate, is you have to get a home that's off market, meaning like you meet the seller and cut a deal with them. And they've got to be like in a situation where it's an estate or they need the cash right away or there's some sort of financial hardship and, and you know, they're okay losing money because they need the money now. It's like when you, you ever meet the people that do like the cash advances on their credit card and they're willing to pay like the 24% interest right. instead of mm-hmm. going to the bank and taking out money. Because they they're not in a position to do that. Say, I, I've, I view those as, as very similar transactions where you're tapping credit, you're paying a crazy rate because you need the money right away. So you're losing money on this, no, no different. Um, what, what, I, what I don't get is you're making $6 million and you had $8 billion in revenue, right? So what's the, let's do some math here. I, I just want to put this into perspective for some people. So we got $6 million, right, divided by $8 billion, zeros yes mm-hmm. i have to turn my uh calculator <laughs> sideways here so that's a 0.075 percent so it's oh seven and a half it's seven hundredths it's seven and a half hundredths i don't even know what that thousands it's set point it's 75 thousandths of a percent oh my gosh so you know i mean they're, they're they're barely turning a profit and they're backed by a company that just has these other companies that just they, they take losses all the time and I don't understand how they keep investing in them. Uh, so I, I, I think this is a cautionary tale for a lot of people. If you want to go, like, we've heard the calls. Hey, Sarah, I want to flip a house. Can you help me go find something under market? Right? <laughs> hey, Stacy, I, w- I want to get into the home flipping business. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any deals that, that, are, that are really good that are out there? They don't exist, especially yeah. in 2020. So if a company at scale isn't able to do it, I don't know how people are going to do it locally. And that, that's that's the warning I have for consumers here because that's really the main audience of our show. Do you guys disagree or what do you think this means as we as we head into 2022 and 2023? Are we going to see less of these people coming to the market or what, what do you think? Investors coming? Yeah. Anybody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I. You know what? I think they gave up a little while ago because of th- there is no deal as far as they're concerned. Um, the end user is 
just crushing them with over-ask and waiving inspections and all these mm-hmm. other things. So those type of home flipper deal lookers, uh, they're, they've kind of like, they're sitting back. And there's no foreclosures. There's no foreclosure market. Right. So there's nothing to really be had unless, like you said, Tom, they're getting off market, you know, something, the neighbor down the street's selling and, and they can snatch it up. But other than that, no deals. Every day continue to get calls from people saying that they're looking for a deal. But, um, you know, as we as we show them what's going on in the market and explain that the deal is getting the home, um, you know, that's going to rule out some people that are because with a lot of the investors and everything, I mean, they have their their spreadsheets. Everything's down to, you know, a, a number here of where it makes sense and where it doesn't versus the, you know, the family that's trying to get into a home and is going to be there for many, many years. And it's worth it for them to you know, put out that little extra bit up front um, in order to have the opportunity to to have the home and be there long term. Well, and, and what, what what's interesting to me here is that I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, there, there's always this just reinforces the value of a local real estate agent that knows the market because these people are buying these things sight unseen. They send their inspectors out afterwards and they blow out of the deal and it, it happens all the time. We know we know the story, right? It's always it, you know why it's they say too good to be true because it usually is. Yeah. Um, so knowing that's the case, um, there was some interesting in, uh, their their CEO because this this is like I'd be I'd have a hard time being the CEO of a company like this um, because I, I I get that in a business you've got to sacrifice short term profits for long term gains I, I totally agree with that there's years you invest in your business there's other years it's more profitable especially with the you're talking about twenty three to forty four markets it almost doubled right uh, within within two markets so that's a factor. What they're now doing is the playbook we've seen other companies use who have lost a lot of money. They have ancillary services now. They have Red Door, this mortgage company. I never even heard of them. Um, and they can approve the loan applicant in 60 seconds. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, and, and they actually wrote that with quotes in the article. So now all of a sudden, they're bringing in other ways to make money, right? Um, and, and one of the, um, you know, they have partnerships with people like Lenar, which is a long time, which is a long time, very big builder. And what their CEO says, um, and what I always find, it, it's what I always find interesting with this is that, hey, we want to build a seamless, integrated digital transaction. Have you ever seen anything in real estate <laughs> that was seamless? We've had some easy transactions, digital or integrated. Has it ever happened to you? I mean, at the table here, just in the last year, I mean, the three of us, I mean, we've sold hundreds of homes. I've sold thousands. And we've had some really easy ones and some really tough ones. Is it ever digital, integrated, or seamless? No, no. definitely not <laughs> all three No, <laughs> together there. It's yeah. never seamless. Right. I don't care. I mean, how right. easy, there's, like Tom said, there's easier transactions than others, but it's never seamless. Right. And- I mean, I think that sometimes to the to the client or the to the consumer, they don't necessarily see everything that's going on behind the scenes. Like it's like the uh, the duck that you see like floating across the top of the pond without seeing all of like the paddling that they're doing underneath. So I would say even for transactions that have, you know, maybe seemed seamless to to somebody that's not in there seeing all of the inner workings of it, there's always stuff going back and forth under the surface trying to get it pushed through, um, you know, I would say in pretty much every scenario. <laughs> and it's not all digital either. Right. It, right. Yeah. There's there's times you have to be face to face and in person and signing 
you know, in mm-hmm. person. Pennsylvania didn't have digital notary until 2020. Wow. Well, I, I mean, and you, you guys, I remember we had to like plead for closings to happen. And then they finally passed it with like an emergency order or, or something else. So I agree with you specifically there. I mean, I, I even when there's like, a, like remote closings are still tough to do because of some of these restrictive state laws that we have. So this idea that it's going to be so easy, I just, I, I don't know that it's ever going to happen. And it's funny that he says that because uh, Susan Daimler, who's Zillow's president, right? And she, I mean, look, same, same, they were in the same, same shoes, basically. They had a horrible iBuyer program that did, wasn't profitable. Um, she was at Inman Connect and she came out and said that humans need humans. Um, that was actually one of the, one of the comments there um, from, uh, from her keynote at Inman Connect New York. Um, that uh, or prior to her appearing at Inman Connect New York, so um, she had a lot to say about the human factor in your real estate business, and you know the fact that they've gone from one end of Rich Barton just hating on realtors, thinking they're idiots, to now humans need humans, and we need our agents because they've been through it. And now you look at the comparison of their Q3 earning call versus the Q4 earning call. Q4 went a lot better because they relied on the real estate agents that know what they're doing in the local markets. And that's a company that had the complete opposite view. Um, yeah, that it, it's all about relationships. And when you're working with a buyer or seller and you've met them and you're, you know, you are fully invested in the best outcome for them. Like if you're just working with somebody over the phone or that it's in another state or a person you don't even you've never even seen them, uh, it changes everything because there's things that happen and that other person could let something sit for days in their inbox and not respond, you know, but when you're, when you're invested in people and like we build these relationships with our buyers and sellers, um, you, you try to, you push things through, you make it happen. You problem solve because you have their, you know, number one interest at at heart and it's, everything's at stake and and they're depending on you. Oh yeah. Well, and and think of, you mentioned something there. I've had many clients I've never met before where, hey, I moved to pick a state. My house didn't sell. It's vacant now. I'm going to ask a little more of you to make sure you can go over and make sure the, like, the heat's on and it's 20 degrees or mm-hmm. all these other things. And, and we have a team equipped to do all this because sometimes that's what needs to happen. I mean, you can't. And it's so I don't see how an iBuyer company be able to do that or if they're because they're, 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 they're again going to sell the home. You've got to have people on the ground and. I guess there is accountability when you have employees that have to do it, but on the flip side here is it just. I mean, if Susan Daimler's saying this, I don't. I don't see. And and their company was the complete opposite twelve months ago. I I don't. I don't know that it's going to own end well for Open Door. I think there was a model there to do it, but and maybe we have to see how this year plays out with all their expansion and capital investments that they made. Because I mean, you're buying a mortgage company, you're doing all these things. You know, there, there's a lot of money that goes into it. So uh, that that might be as much of a factor as anything else. I just. I think this is a cautionary tale for the people that want to go like flip real estate constantly. You got to have a line on deals, and that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not get, you're not finding this stuff on the MLS. No way. Right. I'd agree. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We're coming back. We've got Byron Lazine, Mister Five AM from the One Team at William Ravis Realty in Connecticut. Good friend of mine. He's gonna talk about all things real estate. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB eight sixty AM. 
Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. All right, all right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. And I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. She's Sarah Timon. And again, we all work with the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and Delaware. And we've got a special guest on, great friend of mine, Mr. 5AM himself, Byron Lazine from the one team up at William Ravis in Connecticut. Byron, thanks for coming on, man. We are excited to chat with you for about 23 minutes here and talk to you about all things real estate. How's it going today? I appreciate being on, man, with all with all you guys and the number one team in Pennsylvania. I'll see if I can add any value. All right. Very cool. So we've got uh, Stacy and Sarah here, and I think you, you've probably gotten to know them through our interaction, just kind of working together, masterminding together on, on different levels. So... I, I guess the first thing, Byron, I mean, I think it's interesting that how we've gotten to connect and how our, our relationship has grown, both like a friendship, but also like a peer in the industry, uh, the 5 a.m. call, there's a lot to unpack. So maybe why don't you share with everyone a little bit about yourself, your team. Again, you guys are up on the Connecticut shoreline, and then we can maybe talk about how we met and then how we've kind of evolved within the real estate industry together. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we look at your team and get a lot of inspiration from what you guys are doing in your market. I mean, how often do you and I talk, Tom? Uh, at least three days a week, uh, minimum. Um, that's what happens when you have an accountability partner. That's right. And so, uh, how am I? Live, live radio guys, we're Sorry. working on the audio. No worries. <laughs> I got, I don't know if the audio is all crapped out for you guys on your end. We're hearing it great actually. So you're, you're good to go. Okay, good. All right, good. But Bobby's giving me a heart attack over here uh, that you weren't going to be able to hear. So, yeah, we get a lot of inspiration from you guys, what you're doing. We're trying to build and grow. We're the number one team here year-to-date in Connecticut for the MLS for total sales. We did over 500 last year, and we are on pace to do over 1,000 this year. But I'm getting a lot of what we're building here from what you're doing, Tom, with, you, with your team, and just putting it into work and trying to help buyers, sellers, and investors every day. Well, and that, that's what, to me, what service is really all about. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we take something, what, it's on our phone calls in the morning, and then we implement it at like a team training the next day or something like that. So, um, you know, I, I think a great place to start is, you know, we connected through like a real estate coaching organization and some different things, but we really, I, I think our, our, you know, we really bonded over like this 5 a.m. call. So uh, do you want to maybe chat a little bit about, 
how like the 5 a.m. call works, how it started. I mean, you are like Mr. 5 a.m. I think you get up at 5 a.m. seven days a week if I uh, have my watch correct. So maybe just fill us in on the call. Not on Sunday. Not on Sunday. Day of rest, right? Very religious guy over here. So uh, fill us in on the call. Fill us in on the call. Yeah, so, I mean, Tom, you and I kind of started this. We wanted accountability around our life so we could be better in family members, better in business. And I just asked you to hold me accountable. Hey, let's get up. Let's get on a call and make sure that we're up and hitting our morning like we used to when we first got into the business. It's really easy when you first get into the business to have a lot of momentum, you know, be doing every, every single day like you're on fire. But we uh, kind of lo- low steam, or I did at one point there, and I wanted to be repeatable in my morning. And so that accountability grew from you and I just waking up and making sure each other were up to now over 2,000 people up and down the East Coast, real estate professionals that are waking up and putting together a powerful morning routine before they start their day. So they can have a plan and attack their day with purpose. You know, somebody said something great the other day. If you don't have a plan, I think it was you, Tom, you're planning to fail, right? (laughs) Was Was that a line that you used? Well, let's ask Sarah and Stacy if they've heard that one before, right? Sure have. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's what the 5 a.m. call is all about. And without it, I don't think I'd be able to get as much done as I am today. Well, that's probably the big challenge for a lot of people, too, especially when you have, like, kids and you, you get to the office and there's all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, it, it, just getting up and just getting that head start on the day is so critical. So... What about the people that, like, they don't get up at 5 a.m. or they have a little bit of a hard time and, um, hey, Byron, connect your headphones to the phone and that'll solve the issues. We got Nick Wolf on the spot here with the message. This is good. So <laughs> while he's yeah, doing, doing that. doing that right now. Uh, hey, this is what happens, man. I mean, it's, we got, like, five different streams going, so all good. So wh- while you're doing well, that. I would have used my radio mic here, but he's got me d- doing it a whole different way. I could have used my actual mic through the <laughs> streaming service. Uh, we're on AM radio. I don't know if they have those capabilities yet. I think they're still operating in 1985. So, um, so what, what about the people that maybe have a hard time? Like, I mean, so like Stacy and Sarah, like I'm not. I, I do you guys get up or like what's your morning routine like? And like how 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 has it evolved? Because I think this is everyone thinks it's just like happens overnight. And I can tell you that it doesn't. And I, I'd, I'd be curious, like, what you want to ask Byron about that, trying to develop a a better routine because we're all doing the same job here. Yeah, I think, um, Byron, uh, you putting together this 5 a.m. with Tom, I mean, that I didn't really know that. I, that. I'm learning that for the first time. I know you were always on the 5 a.m. call, but I didn't realize that you guys actually started that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so how? what time did you used to get up before you got up at 5 a.m. or prior to 5 a.m. to be on the 5 a.m. call? Yeah, when I started the business, can you guys hear me good right now? Yes. Yeah, it's great. I couldn't. Great. Uh, when I started the business, I was getting up really early, like four in the morning, and it was easy because my back was to the wall. I bought three houses from age 19 to 21, made every single mistake in the book, and went bankrupt by my mid 20s. So when I got into real estate, I got into real estate to help people buy, sell, and invest real estate and avoid the mistakes that I had made. And my back school, I had no money. So I had to get up early. I went to bed late. And for about a year, that was really easy. But then when I started having you know, some success and uh, year two, year three, 
that schedule of like a lack of sleep started to wear on me. That's not repeatable. And so I started waking up later, getting into the office later, and I didn't really have a plan every single day that I could repeat. Every day was a little bit different. And on the days when I would get into the office later than I wanted to, I was reacting as opposed to executing. And so when I started to, you know, go back to what got me there and get up early with Tom and you know, a couple other guys, and it, and it grew very quickly because somebody mentioned it on a panel or whatever, more people wanted to be in. That's when I started to really become a business operator and, you know, use that time in the morning, getting into the office around, you know, 6.15 um, till, you know, your day starts and your phone starts ringing at nine o'clock. Those two and a half hours really have allowed me to work on the business instead of in the business when the, when the day starts. So it's been really important. And my morning routine is just super simple. It's gym, it's stretching, it's a lot of water. I do the Tom Brady electrolytes now. <laughs> so that, that, that really helps. Um, pro, I do the same breakfast every day, protein shake with peanut butter, blueberries. Uh, it used to be oatmeal, and then I cut that out. And so just simple stuff, get clarity on my day, and get into the office. So it, it also sounds like the key here is not just waking up at five, but then staying awake and actually really moving forward with the day. <laughs> yeah, you got you to stay awake. And, you know, you got you to do something that's actually going to bring you some energy. And, uh, you know, if it's yoga for you or just stretching or a walk or running, then great. But uh, do something that you can commit to every single day and then get to work, right? It's it's really powerful when you can knock out two or three hours before everybody else starts their day. And it starts with the, the night before, like when you're going to bed, planning out your day so you can execute in those, in those hours. Uh, but if you do that, it compounds over time to be so far ahead, uh, you know, of anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to agree that days where when you do wake up and you're productive from the get-go and then you look at the clock and you're like, wow, I've accomplished more at this time in the morning than, you know, maybe I did all day yesterday. It, it certainly is a good feeling and it builds momentum and it, it makes you want to keep going. Um, so what time now? I know you said how your first year there you were going to bed late and waking up early and that wasn't like sustainable. So what time is bedtime now? It's usually about nine o'clock, nine, nine, thirty is when I go to bed. It's easy because my kids go to bed early. So nice. it's, it's not that hard to get an hour, hour and a half before, uh, you know, between them going to bed and before I go to bed to look at my day the next day. The only, the only time that gets interrupted is when I'm on the road with, with Tom. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the three nights a year that we, that we get to hang out. So, uh, I mean, it, I think you bring up a good point because there's always like there's always something that gets in the way, right? And if you take what you're doing is you're taking control in the morning when nothing else you have you have total control of getting up at 5 a.m. and doing whatever you're going to do. So I think that's a great explanation. So if you want to check out the call, it's 5amcall.com. It's also uh, we podcast uh, every every show gets or every call gets recorded. It's live pretty much the day of. So 5amcall.com if you want to check it out. I want to switch gears here real quick. We got about 10 minutes, so. You mentioned earlier you guys sold over 500 homes in 2021. So congratulations. I mean, I'm not that excited for you because I saw it happening, uh, to be very clear. We were in the trenches, so I, I mean that in, in a good way. Right. 
But So that's a big jump for a lot of people. And you've got a lot of agents that are new, a lot of agents that have some experience. So that was a big growth year for you. So how, how did you manage that as a leader? And then what did your agents do to help work together? Because that, that's a group effort. I mean, there's no way you're not doing that without the right team around you, the right organization, the right skills. T- talk a little bit about that. And, and I'm sure Stacy and Sarah got some questions too, because th- you know they're, they're right in it with us. And we do get a lot of real estate agents that tune in as well. Yeah. I I mean, the first thing it's about finding people that are in alignment with the people that are here and, you know, what we're trying to build. And I, you know, we onboarded two agents today and I talked about just that, Hey, you know, you're here today because we believe you're hungry. We believe you're committed and we believe you're accountable and we're going to coach you out if you're not one of those three things. And by the way, you know, if you're not going to commit to that kind of, you know, of environment, then you, you really shouldn't be in real estate in general, right? We, we put together what we believe, well, what is the hardest new agent program to pass in the entire Connecticut, but it's also the best new agent program. It gives you the most training, the most leads, the most support. But if you fail, if you fail out of it, if you fail out of this industry being in this environment, it's 100% your fault, not ours. And I make that clear day one, uh, everybody that we bring into our culture, that we're giving you everything because we've got a whole bunch of people that have proven this system uh, works and that are killing it. Uh, Emily, who is onboarding them, you know, her first full year, she did 13.1 or 0.2 million. She had the exact number, over, over 13 million her first full year in real estate coming out of that program. And so it's 100% on the agent, it's their business, and we're going to be here to support them in that. Uh, but if you're not going to be able to take that accountability onto yourself, real estate, 100% sales commission is going to be a really hard business for you. And once we get the right people in there, uh, you know, then it becomes really easy helping people buy, sell, and invest in real estate and you know, solving their problems. All these problems that, that people have, is a really good thing for top producing agents because we've got opportunities to, to help people. Now, Stacy, you're in a mastermind group with Emily, right? Yes. And so chat a little bit about that because I think that's pretty interesting that, you know, we're able to connect like this through our networks and, and everything else and how that helps you on in another state that's what, six, seven hours away, but probably doing something pretty similar to what they're doing up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, we connect weekly. Uh, for our mastermind, and we, it uh, number one keeps us accountable. So we, ha- you know, we show up, um, video on, and <laughs> uh, very critical. Yes, we're all contributing and bringing things to the table, and you know, we all have similar situations, and we're there for support of each other. Um, it's we're all at uh, similar levels in, in the business, which is which is great. So. For me, it's it's a time where I can learn from and, and get value from each of the people in our mastermind and also um, contribute. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's different topics that we're talking about. Everybody shares differently, um, which is great. So for me, it's it's invaluable and it's weekly. And Emily is just amazing. She, she committed to video every day for the the video social media every day for February and, and crushed it. So yeah. And those kinds of things that we learn from each other. 
And Emily's a great example of somebody who, and there's a lot of people like this, probably a lot of people listening right now who just didn't enjoy their job. She was a teacher for 11 years. She was teaching at a private school. And I say, hey, Emily was really in teaching longer than 11 years because you got to go to school and, and you dedicate a large portion of your life to being able to, to just, you know, get that position of being a teacher. And there's a lot of people listening right now, I'm sure that don't like their job or their job was disrupted through COVID. And uh, one thing that we're doing is a scholarship program. I know you guys have a scholarship program yes. to help people in the community that want to get out of a job that they've been doing for a long time and, you know, aren't have, either aren't having success or just don't like it anymore uh, where you guys give them a scholarship to, to get into real estate and join the team, right? Yeah, so it's realestatescholarshipprogram.com. And, I mean, you know, but teachers, right? Like, they're underpaid. I don't care what anyone says. Teachers are underpaid. Law enforcement, same thing. Underpaid. I mean, there, there's so many industries where the people work really hard. Um, and, I, look, I mean, Sarah and Stacy have been with us just a couple years. So, I mean, they've, they've kind of been through that where they made a transition in 2020, which was probably the best time to make a transition in my view. And th- th- there's so many places where you have like a ceiling on what you do. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what you put in versus real estate where they're, they're it's almost like limitless if you really want to really want to go that far, which is the part of the exciting thing. And you know, someone like Emily or the two ladies sitting here where they can come into a place where that environment set up for them and they don't really have to you know, worry about building on their own. They're plugging in and just working hard like teachers do. I mean, I got kids. I mean, the, I got a call from the principal today. Like it was all sorts of nonsense going on. I mean, I mean, it, it, but it, it's hard work. And you know what? They don't get anything extra for doing a good job. I mean, you know, good teacher, bad teacher. It, it is what it is. And I think that's the case for a lot of industries that are out there right now. And after COVID, I mean, people are just kind of like, screw it. I, I don't, I'm not going to be stuck in this place where I'm not happy anymore. Yeah, if you're somebody who likes to go the extra mile, likes to get stuff done, is really committed to their work, and you're in an environment like that where everybody gets paid exactly the same no matter how hard you work or no matter what type of impact you make, in that case on the children, it's not not for the entrepreneur, that's for sure. It's not for somebody who doesn't want to have a glass ceiling over that, right? It's, for, it's, it's really hard to grow in that environment, to wake up every single day and be like, I want to get a little bit better today than I was yesterday when everybody's just treated the same. And teachers don't get enough, the good ones don't get enough credit. They don't get enough respect. And I'm seeing a whole bunch of teachers switch over to real estate amongst other uh, positions. I know, I'm sure you guys are seeing the same thing mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, you, know, you guys recently transitioned. So, I mean, what was it like before and after? I mean, I think this is, we never really talked about this on the show. Like, one day you're doing one thing, and you come in and decide you want to work with us. And then, it, I mean, like, how, what was that transition like? I mean, I would say the thing that, especially looking back at it, because I maybe didn't realize at the time how lucky I was to get in with the team that I'm on. Um, you're is, very kind. Thank you. Is just like what a good group of individuals. Um, I get to come to work with every day um, and how helpful and knowledgeable people are. And it doesn't really matter how long they've been in the business. Like if they've been out working with clients, they've had things come up and they've had obstacles and they've had to figure out how to overcome them. And it's great being able to do that in like a, a safe team environment, you know, to kind of drop the ego aside and just be like, I don't know how to handle this one and have people that 
you know, we'll take the time to to walk through it with you and and help you figure it out. Um, I know prior to joining, prior to getting into real estate, I was in sales, um, but I was just kind of doing everything by myself. I didn't have an office. I didn't have like a real support group to go to. And that to me was honestly like, the biggest thing, being able to to go to people and learn from people. Byron's having a party over there in his, uh, his racket studio. We are, we are having a party. All right, so we got about one minute left here. So, Byron, where do people want to connect with you? If, obviously, if you're looking to transact in Connecticut, you have got to call the one team with William Ravis. You can find Byron. No, He's call, on. Call Tom Tool first, so I have to send him a 25% oh, well, <laughs> well, we'll take that. That's fine. Uh, That's good. But it's, uh, it's at Byron Lazine on Instagram. It's B-Y-R-O-N-L-A-Z-I-N-E. Anything else you want to add here before you leave? I know you, I've done your radio show. I appreciate you coming on here. I thought there was a lot of value today. Anything else the listeners need to hear before we sign off? Uh, what I would say is I'm sure the graph in Mainline where you guys work looks similar to the Connecticut where there's a hockey stick up. And if you are somebody who is thinking about selling their home over the next 12 months, I'd be hitting that on the front end of the spring market. I'd be contacting you know, this team right here, the Tom Tool sales, sales team, and getting started right now. What my belief is, and this is for every homeowner listening, and I say this on you know, FM radio over in Connecticut all the time, what I believe is that we're at the top of the mountain and there is a downturn coming. So if you love your house, you love your location, you're locked into a low interest rate, stay there. If you're thinking about selling and you want that cash in your pocket as opposed to some phantom net worth, call the tool team today. My man, Byron, thanks for coming on. Again, you can follow him. It's at Byron Lazine on Instagram. You can check out 5amcall.com to hear us in the mornings. That's it for this week's episode of Tool Time Real Estate Radio. You can follow Sarah. She's at Ty underscore tie Time, T-Y underscore T-Y-T-I-M-E. You can follow Stacy at the number two, Mitchco, 2-M-I-T-C-H-C-O. That's all on Instagram. You can follow me at Tom Tool 3rd, uh, Tom Tool 3RD. Uh, Google the Tom Tool Sales Group if you want to check out our live stream every week. And that's all we got. Thanks for tuning in on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.